Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, mostly gentlemen. Welcome to yet another episode of the Good Life Radio Podcast. Tonight, the 16th day of October, 2014. Phone number, as always, 607-203-5330. Last week, I was making a catalog of all the guests I had on my show. My bunny Jonathan Altamirano was over my house, and in my living room, because I'm, a, I'm an obsessive, dysfunctional Yankee fan, I have two seats from New York Stadium. He goes on to ask me, as we're going over the list of all the players, Super Bowl champions, NBA champions, Stanley Cup champions, why I never interviewed a Yankee. It's not easy to go grab a Yankee off the street to go see if he wants to do my dumb podcast. Then I remember a few, maybe a year ago, I was going back and forth with a, a member of the 1998 team. So I reached back out to him, and without hesitation, the reason he was on the Mr. Nice Guy Award, he writes, right away writes back to me, and I'm privileged and honored to be joined today by a friend, eight-year MLB player, and more importantly, a world championship, a world champion on the greatest team ever assembled, the 1998 Yankees team, one of the best names in baseball, Homer Bush. Homer, thank you so much, man, for joining my show, man. What's going on? Oh, man, so much, Michael. Thanks for having me, big guy. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited, man. Homer, first off, let's get the boring question out of the way. What's Homer okay. Bush up to now? You retire on baseball. What are you up to now, my brother? Well, you know what? I uh, jumped into finance and um, was working at uh, Mother Merrill Lynch. Then we had to downturn the economy. I started a small investment company with uh, a couple guys uh, within the office. And then this past season, I went to go and um, coach minor league baseball. You know, I studied sabermetrics and all that and went and applied some of that in the minor leagues. And, uh, man, I really liked what I saw. And where are you coaching now? I was with the uh, San Diego Padres. Um, I was in their short season. Um, I was on their short season team, hitting coach for Eugene Emeralds. And the team that drafted you back in 91, right? The team that drafted me. Yeah, yeah. Yes. It was actually pretty cool. Yeah. Now, listen, you, way to go full circle now. Let's just get real quick to this one. He played his last game last month. Okay. He played alongside Captain Derek Jeter. Just he's a very private person publicly. No one knows anything about him. Tell me something about playing along Jeter. And part two of that question: Did you ever imagine in '98, when he was only in his second or third year, that he was destined for such greatness—not to be a great shortstop, but to really be one of the greatest Yankees and the greatest shortstops and one of the greatest, most beloved players ever? Did you ever see that in Jeter? You know, like you said, it was only a second, a second full season at that time. When did he come? Yeah, 96, 96, 96 came yeah. Up, so, yeah. So you know, he was still a still a baby at that point. So you really didn't see that kind of, that kind of uh, success. But the one thing I took away from it after my uh, experience um, in baseball, and now I share it with my son. What I remembered about Jeter was that he always stayed in the moment. He's very disciplined. Uh, you know, he took care of his body. Um, I mean, he was a baseball player. You know, he wasn't a guy that um, that played baseball but had, uh, you know, dreams of owning businesses and all that as a baseball mm-hmm. player. He was a baseball player. And uh, I will admit in about 2004, when I went back, I knew then he. And I tell my wife this all the time because we used to hang. You know, I mean, we'd go to movies and stuff like that, dinner. Mm-hmm. 
he um and when I went back in two thousand four, he was a superstar. It was like it was no more hanging out at the movies. <laughs> yeah, so, Dirk Jeter's not going to the movie theater on Broadway anymore. Yeah, you know. So uh, I uh, I knew it in two thousand four. He was a uh, he was special, and when I look back on it, I mean, because if you look at his skill sets, I mean, man, you can find ten out of ten guys that can have the same skill sets as this guy. But man, his mental discipline is just. Unmatched, you know, and, and it's funny you say that. And I don't know if you remember this. When Matsui, Hideki Matsui, um, retired from baseball, did one of the first things Jesus said about him was just how uh, he was one of the most disciplined people he had ever met. Mm-hmm. Because Derek Jeter recognized that because that's who he was. You know, everyone was talking about, everyone else was talking about how good of a hitter he was, um, but Jeter immediately spoke about his discipline. And I'm telling you, that's what separates Jeter from a lot of other ball players. In his sterile speech, Jeter said, I'll never forget, well, it was last month, I'm not going to forget, but Jeter said, there's guys with more talent than me, but you're never going to find a guy who works as hard as me. And that's what it was. Because you can name 50 guys who are more talented than Jeter, but he just lived and breathed baseball. It was it, it was fun to watch him for 15 to 20 years, you know? Yeah, yeah. Man, i tell you what. A friend of mine... <laughs> Told me he said uh, he sent me an email the day Jeter announced his retirement uh, in spring okay. training. He said uh, he said, "Man, I'm watching this guy and I know what makes him different. He he stays on topic all the time. You know, he knows what he wants to do at that moment all the time, and he's not gonna uh, move away from that. And I'm telling you, that's special because in baseball." With all the the failures and successes throughout the course of a day, uh, you know you can get off of your game. But this guy, he and you know, of course, I've never really spoken to him about this. But the the results is, tells us that man, he he had a plan every time he went to the plate, whether it worked out or not. He had a plan, and that's um, a lot of success is derived from that big time. Now you're a member of, in my opinion, I'm 32 the greatest team I've ever seen, and some say one of the greatest teams of all time. You're a member of the 98 World Series team. You guys were unstoppable that year. What do you remember most about that journey, the championship run, that 98 team? What, do you, what sticks out the most that year? Michael, you know what's funny is that, man, can you remember how competitive that roster was? Oh, my God, of course. Man, Every play, the, the backups didn't start anywhere. Man. <laughs> man, I'll tell you, cats were fighting for at-bats. Uh, pitchers were fighting for innings. I mean, uh, you would uh, when you look at the the record, you would say, "Man, these guys um, had it easy." No, I'm telling you, <laughs> dude, it was it was about trying to get a job for the next year. And it and I and I talked to my son about the one thing I learned from that season was that when you work hard like that and you're grinding and then it's over with, you find yourself in greatness. Don't shoot for it. Shoot for just <laughs> playing hard, being disciplined, being a team player, being a leader. Um, and then at the end of the day, let's just see what what comes of it. And that's exactly what happened. I can't remember the month, but I want to say it was like June or July. Boston won like 21 uh, out of 23 games, and we had won like 22 out of 23, and they lost <laughs> a, a one-game lead. <laughs> you know, they lost the game in, within the division. I mean, that's just nonsense when you're winning on a daily like that. So, I mean, it was special, but I, I promise you, I mean, there was no uh, no let-up at all. I mean, guys were trying to eat 
Big time. <laughs> I, oh, I, I asked this because I interviewed Josh Booty, uh, Josh Booty last year, and I asked uh-huh. him, "Where's your World Series ring?" And he tells a great story that him and Kevin Millar are out in the bar, and Kevin Millar is like, "Hey, let me use your ring for a second. I want to go pick up a girl." Millar uh-huh. has a few drinks in him, and Millar loses his World Series ring in the bathroom. It's a true story. Never gets it back. So where is Homer, mm-hmm. Homer Bush's World Series ring? Oh man, <laughs> I keep it in a uh, a safety deposit <laughs> box and. Uh, along with some other important documents and stuff like that, but uh, every now and then I'll wear it at like a like an event where I need um, uh, an instant conversation, right? <laughs> like, <man. laughs> now, now, listen. So we get past the '98 team. Your journey to baseball. So I'm doing research after I know I'm going to interview you, and all I'm reading about is how you were like this high school football superstar growing up, how you were recruited. What made you one choose football, uh, choose baseball over football, and two, what colleges recruited you for football? Well, okay. Well, since it's just me and you, man, I wasn't tough enough for football. You know, it was like man, it was just too physical for me. <laughs> I wouldn't tell nobody else that. I'll tell you that, right? But uh, no, man, I uh, I had only played football pretty much in high school just to you know meet the young ladies because I of course. I, um, yeah, you know, it, it was like, man, because I went, uh, I had, uh, the program I went to, we actually had a very good um, football program. We were like no one in the country for years during the 80s and 90s. So to play football was just, that was just a thing to do. So and I, started, I had some success. The coach invested some time in me. Um, you know, he, it, it's funny because there's a book called The Right Kind of Heroes. Uh, the coach, he kind of challenged me. He said, hey, if you, you work out this amount, I'll make sure you get a scholarship. And, man, he threw me the ball like 90 times. And so uh, it was like, so, so, man, I ended up having some success. And But when I got to the next level, um, you know, when it was time to go to the next level, I was like, man, that's just too physical. Baseball was really my passion ever since I was a little shorty, so I decided to go mm-hmm. that route. The, uh, the June of that year, I won the amateur draft. And, like, man, I'll, I'll try this baseball thing. And, man, I'm glad I did yeah, well, yeah, you're a World Series champion. Now, you get drafted in 91, I think, by the Padres. Now, you bounce uh-huh. around the minors, but you always have, like, a batting average above 300, always stealing bases. You get traded. You, now, you're staying with the program. You get traded to the Yankees. Mm-hmm. On one end, and this is going to sound silly, on one end, obviously, you're excited. You trade to the Yankees. But on the other hand, are you a little, like, crap? Like, they're always stacked with all these players. Does that ever go through your mind, like, the goodness? You're going to go to the historic Yankees. But the bad thing, you know they're always – buying players and always stacked in every position. How do you feel when you get traded and you're going to come to the Yankees? Well, great question. Uh, it was definitely those, uh, the, the roller coaster, uh, you know, emotions and feelings. But uh, at that time, remember, I was just trying to stick in the big leagues. I didn't care where. Uh, mm-hmm. And then when I – and that was 97. And I knew that they were having some second base issues. Um, so I said, well, man, if I go in and I do what I – no, I can do it. I might get a chance to stick. You know, you never know. Uh, and at that time, you know, they had a young shortstop by the name of Jeter. I was like, man, you know, we can make this thing work for the next eight, ten years. And, uh, of course, they traded for Knobloch, and that, that, that uh, the change was altered. The, that uh, plan was altered a bit. But, um, no, I, I didn't really think about that at that time. I just wanted to get in the big leagues um, and make a little bread, really. Mm-hmm. Now, question: What is your welcome to the big lead, big lead moment like? Uh huh. Not not uh-huh. your first game. What's your moment like? Wow, I made it! Like, 
what was your moment that just signifies you made it to the major leagues? Is there a moment? You know, oh, absolutely. Oh, check this out. So I'm in AAA when Daryl Strawberry was there. Um, okay. You know, and so they called Straw up. Well, the same day I got called up. So I'm flying to New York. We were in um, Pawtucket. So I'm flying to New York with Daryl Strawberry. I used, to watch, I used to watch this cat as, as, a, as a kid. When, when he was uh, with the Dodgers, I thought Straw was the man. So, and you're hanging out I with mean, him, going up to the majors with him. Yeah, first class. I mean, but I tell you what, <laughs> when uh, we had like the first row seat um, A and B, and people were stopping, getting his autograph, and I remember the pilot saying, hey, guys, uh, we're going to have to speed this up. I mean, he literally held up board in the plane because uh, he was doing autographs. Yeah, it was actually pretty cool. So I, I can't even believe this, right? So uh, then when I get to Yankee Stadium, uh, we were playing the Texas Rangers, and I came in um, as a defensive replacement. They had pinch hit for a PK. I came in, and um, Tom Goodwin, I remember, he got a little jam shot second base. I charged it, you know, scooped it, threw it to first, got him all like it wasn't much, you know, like it wasn't a big thing. We ended up losing, I believe. Um, okay. But, uh, man, it was like, man, man, this is, I'm like, man, this all this game got to offer? I got this, you know? But uh, I'm t- can you imagine how excited I was? I'm, make, I'm going to the show with Strawberry. Uh, then when I get there, I think it was the very first game, maybe the second day, I can't remember. Uh, but uh, I didn't get an A-B, I just uh, played defense. That is, you know, that's an actual awesome story. Now, Again, 98, you guys win the championship. And listen, you batted like, uh-huh. I think you played like 50 or 60 games. You batted like 370, 380. You were stealing a lot of bases. You get traded the next year. After you win a championship, you go up to Toronto. And you had, mm-hmm. that was your, probably your best season, I think. You batted like over 300, and you stole like over 30 bases in Toronto. Mm-hmm. You have a great season, and then you get hurt in 2000. And that injury kind of like lingered for a while. Does that, is that just demoralizing? Like you have this great 98, 99 season where you're breaking out. You're on guys' fantasy baseball team. You're batting over 300. You're stealing bases, and then you get hurt. What goes through your mind when you get hurt? Like, oh, just demoralizing, just a killer? Uh, yes. Now, I tell you what, there's, um, there are some, uh, some, some other pieces to this deal. Well, okay. I had the good year, and then they signed me to a three-year deal. Mm-hmm. So we come to spring training in 2000, I hit a triple, and I, the uh, GM, Gord Ash, said, Homer, come here. He said, man, you're kind of limping a little bit. What's going on? And I said, man, I'm feeling some tightness in my hip. Well, long story short, um, I just got off to a bad season, and then mm-hmm. they decided to go ahead and do the surgery. So I was hurt in spring training. So they knew that I was uh, I was injured, but I thought I could play. Well, um, the next year rolls around, and I'm just – balling out of control, mm-hmm. and pulled my hamstring. So I had the, back, the hip injury caused the hamstring because my gait was off. So I uh, missed a little time, still hitting 300. Um, came back the next year. It was the third year of the deal. Uh, they were like, man, we don't think this is going to work out. We're going to, you know, we're not going to let you play every day, but you're our guy. Well, man, I got all the, I got all the beast, like, you know, the Yankees in Boston rolled through. I get Pedro, Mucina, yeah. Clemens, Pettit. It's like, man, I can't make a living facing those guys. You know? Yeah, you know what was great back then? That was when it was the real beasts of the East. You're getting these pitchers day in, day out, these lights-out pitchers every day with the Yankees and Red Sox. New York, Toronto, how are you going to do this? 
Yeah, dude, they let the young guys play against, you know, all the four and five, you know, starters, and it was like, man, this is gonna be, it's gonna be a tough year for the old boy. But, um, you know, then Moneyball had, you know, rolled through town, and mm-hmm. so um, all the whole, you know, I didn't walk enough, didn't high, uh, high enough on base percentage. Basically, uh, just, you know, I had more hits than walks, and um, sure. so it was like, man, they were trying to get cheaper. So I was, they, you know, they had lost uh, interest in me. But, you know, you, it was like one bad experience after another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it yeah. just seemed like it just started snowballing down now. now you're forced. To, you're retiring after all these nagging injuries after eight league, eight years in the majors, which is mm-hmm. awesome. You played eight years, but do you automatically think like, wow, what now? I'm, I'm so young. You're older, like you know, you're older in baseball sense, but you're so young. Do you think like, holy crap, what now? What what am I going to do now? Does that like come to your head? No, not really, because man, I deferred my contract, so I had like a decade of payments. You know, it's you know, a pretty good number. It was just a matter of what did I want to get into. So, uh, like I said, I jumped into finance, and um, man, I, you know, once I walked away, never looked back. Um, you know, I, I regretted not playing as a player, but I didn't regret just, you know, I didn't regret being uh, being around it by no means. Now, I, I'm so glad you brought up the finances because I'm going to bring up ESPN 30 for 30 broke because I thought it was done horribly, and I love the 30 for 30. So. <laughs> I'm watching it, and I see you on it, and I'm like, wow, Homer Bush, the Yankee, let me Google him. So I Google him. I see you're into finances, and you're into this, and I'm like, and I know you spoke out against it, because it seems like you're doing fine financially in everything I read. Do you, you hated the way you were portrayed in ESPN's 30 for 30 Bro, correct? Yes. Um, my, it's funny, because when they invited me, the title was, Why Do They Go Broke? And I was speaking from a player slash financial advisor. I'd been one of both. It was like, man, he, he, he's going to have some insight that's different. Mm-hmm. And, and I did. So I went there for like four hours, spoke to these good people about leverage. These guys are getting over leveraged. And, um, you know, just basically saying they're ready for retirement and that Macy's and Nike and Foot Locker was, wasn't getting all that money. You know, we had had a couple of downturns in the economy, um, you know, financial advisors only get paid on the equity portion, uh, so therefore they can't have guys paying off ho- homes and cars because they want them to, uh, they want to invest their monies, mm-hmm. right? So um, I went to talk about that type of stuff, and I get on this show, and they're editing pieces about sneakers and suits and cars, and <laughs> it was like, what is going on here? And it's so funny because... Um, they called me and literally stayed in town four additional days because I was speaking out against the advisors. Okay. You know, I, was, I think the financial industry is a great way to get your home in order. Don't get me wrong. But it's for working professionals, doctors, lawyers, whose net worth grow with time, like your portfolio, book of business, and income should grow as a financial advisor. But if you get four or five good athletes, you over-leverage them, you don't need to grow. Your book of business mm-hmm. is popping already. So, of course, you know, I wasn't in any rush to talk about that. And I even spoke to ESPN about, hey, you know, I'm not trying to down the financial advisor industry. I'm just saying that, um, you know, being in the industry, um, the one thing that saved me was the deferred compensation. Like, basically, 
getting my salary deferred for over a decade um, was the best thing for me because I can get a second career going. Sure, of course. And that's why I was upset about that. And um, one of the things that upset me the most was that um, uh, they changed the title to broke. To just broke, yeah. Yeah, and they called me literally uh, a year and a half after I filmed it. They called me two days prior saying, oh, man, I sold the piece to ESPN, and they all of a sudden going to change the title. And, you know, I knew then I was in trouble. And I'm sitting there watching with my wife and kids, and I got my daughter. She was at that time, she was like 13. She's looking at me like, Daddy, you know, how are you looking on the bank statement? You know, everything all right. Are we going to eat more of that? That hurt me the most. And so I, um, you know, I went there to really try to shed some light on, um, like, basically, these guys are not sending themselves into the poorhouse. Because uh, in baseball, when a team doesn't win, one of the coaches get fired. Yeah. Well, when players can't extend their lifestyles a year or two after you know, playing days, that's not a player problem. That's the person that's managing your mo- your money problem. And they're just over-leveraged, basically. You, you know, it's funny you said that because are you, I don't know, are you a football fan or no? Sure. Uh-huh. Okay, so one of my closest friends is Chris Canty in the Giants, and I go out with him maybe two, three, four times a year. We go out, and listen, he's made a ton of money, five years, $50 million with the Giants. So we'll go out to a, you know, a restaurant or a club we're hanging out, and you can see – the rookies who come there who aren't great were spending thirty, forty thousand dollars. That's the truth. I went out once and a player in the Giants who wasn't making that much money dropped like thirty thousand dollars. And you look at Chris and he's buying he doesn't even buy anything for anybody and you can see who in five years is gonna be broke. And you see who's gonna be smart with the money and it's so it's scary and it's unfortunate that they're putting their lives on the line, they're making millions or half a million dollars and they're blowing it right away. It's just it's astonishing really to watch it. It's sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, and, and I tell you what, um, Michael, and man, I'm um, uh, I'm a big believer in, you know, man, they're gonna have to work to their fifty anyway. <laughs> Just make sure if you buy a home, you pay cash for it. You buy a car, pay cash for it. Don't go get leverage so basically you can still have the car payment, and then you spend all the money as well. At least uh, invest some money in the in those items. So that once you're no longer playing, you don't have to sell them because you can't afford them anymore. Uh, you know, and then by the way, uh, you know, you're not going to get a job uh, where you can support that kind of lifestyle. So at least, <laughs> you know, bring that lifestyle down a notch by having very little leverage and very little credit card debt. Uh, I mean, think about it. you know, financial advisors and these broker, big broker houses, they only get paid on uh, equities. So, you know, you're losing money in the stock market. Then you're paying this guy who had made you a dime on your whole portfolio. And by the way, you know, you're the one. Uh, my wife always joked with me and says, man, I'm going to promise you ice cream, but if I give you milk, you know, at least I try my best, you know. It's like, no, that doesn't work when it comes to your finances, you know. <laughs> so, uh, you know. All right, let's let's jump back to current baseball. Are you watch baseball still religiously? Huge fan still or no? Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, who are your favorite players right now to watch? Like, who would Homer Bush pay to watch play right now? Man, it's funny you say that. I'm a hitter's guy, so um, 
Pujols. Um, you know, I enjoy watching Puig. Um, he's fun. Puig is fun to watch, man, isn't he? He really is. It's like, man, and see, I don't, I'm, you know, I don't try to be the moral compass. So anything they do outside the baseball diamond, I really don't even get into. You know, it's like, it man, doesn't bother, doesn't bother uh, me at all. No, you know, what I'm, I'm so, a baseball fan. I want to know what Puig does on the field. That's all I care about. Yes, yes. Uh, Matt, I tell you, it was a really good hitter. Uh, had a bad year last uh, a couple of years. Was Matt Kemp. You know, Kemp's you can tell that to me because he was on my fantasy baseball team for three years in a row. So you can tell I can preach about Matt Kemp. You know, you know what I think I'll tell you right now? My favorite hitter to watch, and it's going to sound so obvious, but, obvious, but Miguel Cabrera. I always thought, mm-hmm. growing up, the greatest right-handed hitter I saw was Manny Ramirez. As a Yankee fan, he killed the Yankees every single And then you watch Cabrera. Which he's fighting for the Triple Crown every year. He is just a, not normal watching him hit, man. He's a machine out there. Yeah, yeah. Now, watching him and Trout, I mean, they're, they're special. They're, I mean, they're really, really good hitters. You know, I, I'm I'm doing a piece on Trout, and I'm and well, pretty much all the 300 hitters and all the Hall of Fame. Okay. I'm I'm going to make sure I get you that. Uh, it's going to be out in a couple months, and man, it's it's um, it's going to uh, it's going to pro- provoke a lot of uh, good thoughts and questions, and um, they all have something in common. Put it like that. And I, okay, and I I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing this now. Yeah, yeah, they all have something in common, and that's. Um, and it's uh, it's pretty cool. So um, I hate to tease you with that, but I'll, I'll make sure you get it. I'll definitely make sure you get it for sure. No, it's a good tease. I, mean, I just want to keep it up for a couple of minutes because a few more questions to you. So like Go I ahead. said, I'm one of the biggest baseball fans ever. I still play every day, all the time. I told you I have two Yankee seats in my apartment now in the village in Manhattan. Give me the life of an MLB player. Give me a day, give me a day in the life of a major league baseball player. And also, my second thing is, did you appreciate it when you played, or did it go by too fast? Okay. Uh, I want to answer the second question first. Okay. Uh, it, uh, I, I appreciate it, but, man, it was so stressful. You, you know, it was like, man, I mean, I mean, just think about it. Like I was saying, you get Mucina on Monday, Roger on Tuesday, Pettit on Wednesday. Dude, you're lucky to get out of there with your help, you know? So it was like... <laughs> Man, you, I mean, I enjoyed it, but it was it was extremely stressful, man. And you know, you always got somebody that's looking to take your job behind you. You know, it was like, mm-hmm. man. So, uh, uh, from from that perspective, uh, I, now knowing what I know now, I would appreciate it more, of course. Uh, okay, I would be way more prepared because uh, a day in the life, um, like I was saying about the stress, would literally have you like. Uh, stay in the house all day. For me, I would wake up in the morning. I'd probably spend a couple hours with the kids. I'd probably, you know, I'd go exercise, and then I would, um, uh, I'd, I'd go, I'd take a nap to like one thirty. Uh, wake up, have a, a big meal, and then I'd go to the field. So I just try to get to the field around two fifteen, two thirty. Uh, okay, and. Uh, then go play, and, man, you work out afterwards. Uh, just, you know, it's like Groundhog Day. Then you do it all over again the next day. It was uh, it was not one of those deals for me. I didn't get out much during the day, you know, trying to conserve all my energy for the game, make sure I took in the right protein-carb mix, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, 
you know, but the one thing I I wish I I didn't do so much of was wary. I worried a lot. Okay, and you, and you regret that now. You should just live in the moment. And looking back now, it's so easy to say not to worry, but yes, no, you're right. Uh, I, I I wish I hadn't worried so much because uh, I know a little bit more about the game, um, and it was you know it's volume. It takes volume, right? So worrying about something every other day when um, they don't grade you on that. They grade you over, you know, four or five hundred at bats, and um, you know, ground ball uh, catches and stuff. Uh, but man, it was just it, it was very stressful. Uh, but um, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't change it for the world. I can tell you that. And another thing, one thing, I'm glad I'm glad I grew up in the inner city. Okay, now I know that? how the movie. I'm glad you know now I know how the movie play you know plays out. Uh, mm-hmm. It it calloused me to a lot of things. You know, I have an inner toughness about myself. Uh, that uh, don't you have like a, seven siblings or something? It was a uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that it gave you mental toughness growing up in the inner city. Yeah, mental and physical toughness. Just seeing the stuff that was going is happening around me at that time um, prepared me for the Bronx. Prepared me for being on my own. You know, at eighteen, mm-hmm. uh, grinding in the minor leagues. You know, not allowing coaches and players to get me off of my game and make me lose focus on what my goals were. Uh, you know, I, um, I worried a lot, but uh, it was after I had uh, had acts of aggressive play. Um, you know, I always wanted to do my best for my coaches and teammates and myself and my family. You know, it was a bigger cause than just me making it to the big leagues. Now, Homer, you played in baseball for eight years. Well, you played longer, but in the majors, who were your closest friends in baseball? Like, did you have any good friends? You just bounce around. Did you have legit close friends in baseball and any of the friends you're still friends with now? Well, you know what, man? Uh, well, friends, you know, that's subjective. You know what I'm saying? At that time, I ran with some really good people, uh, Shannon Stewart, Jose Cruz Jr., Jeter, Posada, you know, for spurts. Uh, but then when I got married, started having kids, you know, you, they tend to gravitate towards the single guys, and you stay with the the married guys. So the boring uh, married guys, right? <laughs> yes, the old married. <laughs> but no, I, I love it how you just went from yeah, I was hanging out with Gita Posada, Stewart, and you know, then hanging out with the married guys. Like you were living the life with Gita <laughs> Posada, and I, the married guys hanging out at the park and Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was like yeah. man. So. It, it was good stuff, man. I tell you, man, you you bring back some memories for the old boy, because man, I, I, I and you know, I, just, <laughs> I gotta tell you. So I, you know, I mess around. I'll, I'll interview anybody, and it's so funny because I'm gonna keep repeating myself. The Yankees are <clears throat> such an obsession for me that this is the truth. I'm single now. This is gonna be sad to say. It's embarrassing, but a big reason I was divorced was because of the Yankees. I would have my wife at the time, the greatest person ever. We'd have I would be screaming. The only time I show emotion is during the Yankee games, and I would be down <laughs> like, a, but listen, Homer, I'm in I'm in my own my house and I have a Yankee room downstairs with the uh-huh. figures. This is three, this is three or four years ago. The figures, the Yankee seats. I was gonna, I wanted to put grass on the floor. Like I'm one of those like a fan, man. So I'd be screaming at the game, and she would come down. And she's like, please. I'm like screaming. She's like, listen, I didn't blow the game. Don't get. And the Yankees played a they play a part in me being single. This is. This is my obsession. So the fact that you said I'm bringing you back, it's, it's so yeah. weird. I remember watching you at Old Timers Day a few years ago, which I want to talk about in a second. But 
Uh-huh. Like, it's so weird. I'm just talking. I'm like, oh, just talking to the Yankees second baseman on 98. It's just, it's surreal for me. So just a couple more questions. I'll let you go. And I appreciate you even calling me tonight on a Friday night. But tell me about Old Timers Day and who did you idolize growing up? Also, I'm always curious about that. You know, um, uh, Old Timers Day is great, man. You know, I, I started early. See, I, I was going. There. I was still trying out. You know what I'm saying? I was mm-hmm. trying to get on the roster. I was trying to catch somebody's eye, you know. So, uh, no, but I, <laughs> that was a running joke that um, I was going to appear in more old TDs than um, Bullet Bob Turley. So I, I think Bullet uh, Bob Turley has a history of OTDs himself. But, um, man, uh, and what was your second question? <laughs> <laughs> the old time is he's great. Growing up, who do you idolize? Like, you know, I want to be like that player. Like, obviously, you're a hitter. So, who was your favorite player growing up? Did you idolize? Ozzy Smith. Man, everybody wants to be the wizard, you know, because I come, of I grew course. up in the Midwest. Yeah, yeah, man, yeah, dude. Ozzy the wizard. You know, to this day, the greatest play. I don't remember watching it live, of course. If you go to YouTube, is that head first dive up the middle when it hits the rock and it shoots backwards and he bare hands it. When, I think he was in the Padres when he did it. It's the greatest play I've ever seen in my life. And he was just fascinating to watch, the wizard. Yeah. Now, yeah. I'm going to finish up with these couple of questions. And I always ask every guest on my show, if I, right now you and I go out, we're hanging out, I take your phone. Who's the coolest person in your phone? You want to impress somebody. You take out your phone. Who can you call on the spot that's going to impress somebody? Man, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> dude, I've got I've got a couple heavy hitters in there. Uh, I tell you, one guy who I'm really, really um, uh, good. I'm really, really close to, like uh, more of a mentor, mentee type situation, is uh, Eric Logan, who's the president CEO of Harpo. Okay. Uh, he's pretty. Uh, he's a very intelligent guy. Man, he can motivate people to do great things. Okay. Uh, matter of fact, when I got on Twitter the other day, he was the first person to hit me and say, uh, "Hey, man, oh bless, you know, happy to have you back." That was pretty cool. And uh, dude, he is really good. If you get a chance, uh, YouTube him. And it's Eric okay. Logan, uh, Tappenberg, Eric Tappenberg, Logan. Okay. Um, but uh, he was uh, he was a top dog at XM Radio for many years, mm-hmm. and yeah, I, 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 wasn't Opie and Anthony. He did uh, some stuff with Opie and Anthony on the XM Radio, I believe. Yes, yes. Yeah, so uh, he he's really really good, man. Um, I tell you, Miles Austin is another one uh, receiver I mean, for the, that, uh, that's the a Cowboys. Solid, wait, that's a solid number. That's a heavy name to have in your phone, Miles Austin. Oh, dude, I'm telling you, man, Miles is a good dude. I met him uh, at an event, and then I took his dad to Old Timers Day, and his dad, his dad's a huge Yankees fan, and uh, Miles himself, you know, support the Yankees over year over the years, and uh, he was like, man, he's so appreciative, and uh, man, hit me with his number. He always hit me up whenever something happens um, that might come across the wire, whether coaching or um, some Yankee event. He'll say, hey, man, saw you on Yes Network. Congratulations. All the best. I mean, he's a really good dude. That's great. Now, a hey, question. Now, do you keep any of your memorabilia? I'm always curious if, because some players keep nothing, give it away. Do you have some, besides the World Series ring, do you keep anything? First hit? Oh, uh, man. Jersey, do you keep anything? Uh, well, I have my jerseys, a couple balls. 
okay. we got some stuff. Remember the the, the perfect game, uh, Boomer through. Uh, we course. got some uh, rings and watches, and man, I mean, dude, it was like Christmas. I was like, man, <laughs> I was like, man, you threw another one. <laughs> well, well, no, one more, I'm gonna let you go. I, I hate to talk over you, but I'll tell you, a, a, a David Wells' perfect game. My fam, my whole family and I were going to Las Vegas, and uh, we had a car service in front, and the whole family's outside. We're in the car service, and my dad, my brother, and I are in the house watching the game, and it was the eighth inning. And my mom, my aunt, my uncle, they're like, we're going to miss the flight. And I'll never forget. I'm like, he's throwing a perfect game. I'll miss the flight for this. <laughs> he throws the perfect game. And, of course, I want to watch the post game. My mom's like, get in the car. We barely made the flight. But I was willing to miss the flight to watch the perfect game. Now, I'm going to finish yeah. up. I want to finish up with one question. And hopefully you feel, like, honestly about it. A lot of people don't want to talk about it. But you play in the height of the steroid area, era. Uh-huh. I'm going to give you four guys, obviously the four main names. Do you think they should be in the Hall of Fame and they will be in the Hall of Fame? Do you think Roger Clemens will be in the Hall of Fame or should he be in the Hall of Fame? You know, I'll be honest with you. I I, I know what you mean. This is I I, I you know this yeah, is going it, too good, yeah. but it doesn't uh, doesn't bother me. It's just my opinion. Uh, okay, man i I don't I don't rally. Like I say, I'm not the moral compass. You know, I'm not here to protect the game of baseball. Those guys went out and they played, um, whether they had some extra uh, vitamins in, in them uh, or not. I really don't. Um, I don't. I don't care to penalize them, and I put them in there. You know, um, mm-hmm. uh, baseball is a difficult game. You know, and I know it's kind of uh, America's darling for many years, but uh, man, they went through a lot. And I don't think they played their whole careers on that stuff, even if they did, right? Um, uh, you know, I think what they did for the game was um, was unbelievable. Um, and I have no quarrels with any of them. Uh, you know, like I say, I'm there to appreciate what they did on the field, and that's all I see them for. So, um, but I know there are some old school guys that are yeah, like, unfortunately, you know, yeah. No, 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 no. I mean, man, I'm, I'm just that type of guy. I'm just that type of guy, man. I, I wish they hadn't done it. More so for the simple fact that they probably could have been Hall of Famers anyway. Oh, you see that? So, yeah, uh, that's probably not a very sexy answer, but no, 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 no. I, no, no. I, mean, I wouldn't I, penalize. I had to ask you though, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't penalize them. I, I mean, I, I'd put them in there, man. You know, I. I I mean, there's a lot that goes into those type, those careers, and I don't think it was just steroids alone. And you know, that's what kills me. Like, I'm, I'm a big A Rod guy, and it's not not the greatest thing to say in New York, but I love A Rod. I think Alex Rodriguez is. I, I think he's just amazing. I feel like he's being a scapegoat. Well, no, we don't have to get into that. But if you're gonna, like when, when I have the argument that he's a whole famer, oh, he used steroids. I always say, like, do you really think that the steroids made him hit 340 with 50 home runs, 160 RBIs, like? He was so talented always, and I just feel this scapegoat, and it, that's just what kills me. Homer, oh, last question. Oh, two more. What is your most memorable moment in baseball, your final moment that if right now you're writing your book, your, Homer Bush, my favorite moment in baseball is this? Um, man, uh, I would say my, the home run I hit in Yankee Stadium, my first, home, my first career home run. And I, I think I read, didn't like Chuck, I know they're supposed to give you this silent treatment, didn't Chuck Knobloch or somebody just come running out and hugging you? Was that, was it Chuck? 
It was Chuck. Yeah, yeah. Chuck, you know, it's funny because uh, I got a lot of respect for Chuck. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Chuck was good to me. And so, um, uh, you know, that was um, that was pretty cool because, uh, I mean, at that time I was no threat. I was no threat. You know, he was kind of <laughs> teaching me the ropes a bit. Um, okay. You know, he had been all-stars and, you know, had all these all-star appearances and gold gloves. So, um, no, that was pretty cool. But i tell you the interesting thing about that little nugget was that um, um, when, I, you know, I, I didn't play a lot. And I don't know if you remember, that was a stretch of like 20-some innings where we hadn't scored. And remember, we were the Bronx Bombers. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, we were down 3-1 or 1-0 to nothing or something like that, uh, one to nothing, and that home run took us up two to one or something like that. Uh, it was good that I was able to provide a little spark, considering I didn't, you know, I didn't get many ABs, and it just made me feel like a part of the winning ways, not just a part of the team, but a mm-hmm. part of uh, the team that actually contributed in winning ways. And uh, you know, it was actually pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Any regrets in baseball? Your baseball career is over. Any regrets that you can say, man, I wish I could rewind and just do this one moment over again? Just stay healthy. Man, if I could stay healthy, um, you know, I think I could have a, you know, 15, 20-year career easily. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, just being able to, um, in moderation, slide head first every time, running down – First baseline, like my hair was on fire, was not the smart thing to do. You know, uh, I I needed to, you know, you know, realize it was going to be a long season, long career, and I couldn't do these things 100 miles an hour all the time. So um, that would that would be my that's my biggest regret. Never. And I'll yeah. tell you, I'll tell you something funny. We'll finish with this. Is I'm at work and I'm telling everybody, yeah, I'm going to interview Homer Bush tonight. Just so you know, as as I know, every day you probably remember being a baseball player. I'm like, oh, I'm interviewing Homer Bush tonight. Everyone's like, what? The first thing everyone says, wow, Homer Bush, Yankee, what's he up to now? Like, you're associated with the greatest baseball team, not the Yankees, that 98 team might have been the greatest team ever. Everyone in New York still knows Homer Bush. Your name is like, because your name is a unique name, it is one of the most unique names in baseball. It's fascinating that, like, I'm interviewing Homer Bush. Oh, really, the Yankee? Like, your name was synonymous, like, no one said who. Everyone knows who Homer Bush is. I just want to let you know, as a fan's perspective, how cool it is. And also, obviously, thank you for spending a Friday night with me. But for me, it's so surreal watching you on those 98 teams. I, it's so hard to even imagine. I'm just, like, having a normal conversation with a great player who I cheered for. I, I went to, like, 50 or 60 games those years. I was at game one and two of the World Series that year on my birthday when Tino hit the Grand Slam, beating the Padres, but, like, you were part of my childhood. I just want to. I just want to thank you for that, man. Man, I appreciate it. And man, I mean, as you can imagine, I was honored to be in that situation to play for the mm-hmm. Yankees and get the opportunity to play. So, man, I appreciate it. And I tell you what, man, uh, it's good that uh, the fans remember me because if not, with social media, I was going to make them remember me. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hey, how are you verified on Twitter? Uh how well, are you? Is your name? Know. How are you verified on Twitter yet? Well, uh, you say how long? No, how are oh, you not. verified? How don't you have that little blue check next to you? Oh, man, someone set that up for me, and I, uh, so man, I, I don't know, I don't know how the young lady did it, 
And she linked it all together for me and said, all right, go get them. You know, so. <laughs> all right, hold on, but here's the deal. I, I'm not a memorabilia guy at all, but anyone who's on my show, I'm going to sell. After we hang up, I'll, uh, I'll message you. Give me your address, whatever. I'm going to send you down a hat or a jersey. You've got to sign it because I only have – I don't go out and buy Jeter jerseys or A-Rod or Rivera jerseys. I only have people who grace me with their time. Time is the most important thing in the world. You can never give it back. I want to send you something. If you don't mind signing it for me, I can hang it in my apartment. Sure, absolutely. Oh, but listen, when you get that, uh, when that video comes out, make sure you get it to me, and I'll keep in touch with you. I just want to thank you so much, man, for doing my show, man. All right, baby. Hey, thank you, Michael. See you later, Homebush. Bye-bye. Interviewing Homer Bush, I, I probably sounded so giddy during that interview. The Yankees are my life, and just to talk, and I've talked to, I've talked to huge stars, but I've talked to guys like Rick Meyer and Tim Couch, Cameron Mills, guys who I truly idolize playing. I, I, I wore number two growing up to Tim Couch. I wore three because of Rick Meyer. Cameron Mills made me cry in 98 when he beat Duke. And yet, talking to a Yankee just surpasses all of it. And I didn't think, when the show started, I, you should have saw me. I'm all nervous. I'm walking around my apartment all nervous. But thank you, everyone, for listening. We have two or three guests coming up soon. Tutan Reyes, the Giant and Panther. We're going to talk to him because Ole Miss is undefeated, ranked two or three in the country. He was a superstar down at Ole Miss. And I'm going to talk to Nick Dasha, who's on the show, Wagner quarterback, former Kansas City Royal Farmhand. His best friend in the world is Mike Moustakis, so we have to get Moose on. And that's really it. Thank you for spending a Friday night with me. I don't know who would listen to a podcast on a Friday night. And more sadly, who is doing a podcast on a Friday night. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Have a good night.